While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, good morning. Hey, you can be seated. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is so good to see you this morning, whether it is your first time with us or you call this your church family. It is always good to worship. Um, And I have to start off with a confession. Um, And you always know it's good when a preacher has to start off with a confession or it's really scary. Um, I I lied to (laughs) y'all. I got on Instagram yesterday and said, hey, they're going to have the roads open from the Dallas Marathon. It'll be real easy to get here. No worries. And my phone has been blowing up for the past hour. I can't get to church. So I just want to confess, I'm so sorry. Um, I make it a point not to lie to people, but I'm glad um, that you're here and we get to worship together. We are continuing a series called Christmas Playlist, where we're looking at the very first songs of Christmas and how they speak to us today about the power that Christmas still holds in our life. So to get us started, I want us to know how many of you love Christmas music, like love, love, love Christmas music, okay? How many of you started listening to it before Thanksgiving? Anybody? Okay. Anybody Halloween? Come on. Anybody who just listens to it all year round? Woo. Okay. We got one right for you here. Woo. Okay. Well, I want to see how much you love Christmas music and how well you know it. I want to repeat a few lyrics from some of the most popular songs, and I want to see if you can finish the song for me. Are you ready? Okay. First one. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than you could ever know, make my wish come true. And that's my... <laughs> that's why Mariah's making the big bucks right there. Okay. It's beginning to, I'm dreaming of a chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Okay, that was, that was a little bit slower, but if we started to pick that one up. This one should be easy. Last Christmas. We're still going. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Now, on the other side of things, I've got a few other Christmas lyrics for you. These are the most unpopular Christmas songs of, of all time. Let's see how many of you know these. Light me up and I'll show you the way. Every year can't wait for Christmas Day. Nothing. Not one person opened their mouth. Okay, here's another one for you. If I could buy you anything I wanted this Christmas, I would get the Academy to give you an Oscar for your script, even... Oh, 
Okay, cool, cool. One more for you. Um, Hark now, hear the angels sing. A king was born today, and man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. Wow, that one had a little bit more likes on YouTube. So, okay, that's why these are on the most unpopular Christmas playlist. That's Mary's Boy Childs. Anybody heard that? Okay. As we continue our series today, I want to look at one of the songs in the very first Christmas that would have made it probably on the most unpopular Christmas list song. In fact, maybe you have read the Christmas story time and time again, and I'm talking not the Christmas story where sugar plums are dancing through our heads, but the story of Jesus being born in a city of Bethlehem years ago in the nativity. Maybe you know that story, but you have never quite heard this Christmas song. Many of us are familiar with Mary's song as we talked about the angel Gabriel coming to her and announcing that the savior of the world, Jesus, would be born. And we go usually from that moment, from her song, The Magnificat, where she expresses gratitude to God for being mindful of her and calling her to such a task. And we go straight to the nativity. You know, the night where Jesus is born, a baby laying in a manger where the angels are singing overhead, cattle are lowing, there's a few shepherds, you know, a kid dressed up as a star, and some sheep. We go there, we know that story. But in Luke's gospel, and Luke was a follower of Jesus who decided he was gonna write a full account of the life and times of Jesus. And so he starts with Jesus' birth, with Christmas. But before we get to the nativity, before we get to cattle lowing and a baby and a manger, we meet this couple. We meet this um, couple many of us maybe haven't even heard of, Elizabeth and Zachariah, and hear a song that's not so popular on our Christmas playlist. But Luke starts his story with them, and there's got to be a reason why. This is their story. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all of the Lord's commands blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were beyond childbearing age. Elizabeth and Zechariah are the first people when Luke tells us he's going to tell us the story of Jesus that we hear of. But it's kind of an odd introduction to a story about the birth of the Messiah, the birth of King Jesus, to start with this couple who we're told is beyond childbearing age, has never been able to have a kid. They're barren. In other versions of interpretations of the Bible, it says they were getting on an age, which is like the first century like version of an old over-the-hill joke, you know? And, and so Zechariah tells them about us, but it's, it's an interesting way to start the story, especially if you're new or unfamiliar with a story. 
We want to jump to the good part. We want to jump to the plot line, not the introduction. I mean, how many of you skipped over introductions in school when you were maybe in college or in grade school? I always did. The syllabus would say, read the preface, read the introduction. I never did. Until the one time I was, there was a pop quiz on the introduction to a book, and I realized, oh, man, I have messed up. Well, Luke gives us an introduction that maybe is easy to skip over, that doesn't seem to fit. But friends, I think if we skip this introduction, if we skip over their story and Zachariah's song, we actually can miss the whole point of Christmas. See, what we learn in this first introduction from Luke is that Elizabeth and Zachariah They are this holy, devout couple who have done everything right. Do you know that couple? Maybe you're trying to be that couple or that person. You do everything right. He tells us they are holy. They are righteous. They are the people who send out their Christmas cards on time. They are the people who always mow their yard first in the neighborhood. They're the people who are just good people. They're pastor's kids. We're told they're from the priestly line of Aaron. So they're pastor's kids. They've grown up in church. They've been faithful to church. And yet, Luke also tells us that they haven't been able to bear a child, which in the first century was one of the most shameful things, not only for a woman, but for a couple, for a man and a woman, because it meant their households, their name would not continue. And so they have this incredible life, but they've done everything right, but they, they are good and decent, but they struggle, they have pain, they're barren, they bear shame in their experience and their existence. What's more about Zachariah and Elizabeth is that they represent an entire group of people in the nation of ancient Israel that were often sometimes called a remnant. And they were a people, a small group of people in the nation of Israel that continued to believe and hope for a Messiah, that God would bring about and raise up somebody to deliver them from their oppressors. The nation of Israel, the people of God, had been taken in captivity time and time again and never thrived or flourished. And Elizabeth and Zechariah represent a group of these people who, burdened by an oppressive empire, still believe that God will show up. And for centuries, there were these people that believed like they did. But they believed and they prayed but there was no word from the prophets. They, they hoped and they did right. They continued to worship, but there were no signs, wonders, or miracles. They continued to hope against hope, and yet God was silent. In fact, when we get to Elizabeth and Zachariah's story, scholars estimate that there had not been a prophet or any word of the Lord formally shared in nearly 400 years. They represent a group of people doing it all right, and yet 
longing, hoping, and coming up disappointed. But, man, you and I, we can read that story and we feel the weight of that little word, but. Because you and I, we've been on the other side of a phrase someone has said to us or about us. We know what that's like. You have great potential. Your resume is great, but. You're a wonderful person. You have great personality, but. We have done everything we can. We've tried everything, but. We feel the weight of that small word. We know what it's like to be Elizabeth and Zachariah, to do the right things, to believe, to hope, but. And friends, I think that's why Luke starts the introduction to Christmas with Zachariah and Elizabeth. That's why he begins the story of love come down, of the Messiah and Savior of the world being born in Jesus on this miraculous night with the pain of their longing and barrenness because at that time, the world lay weary and barren and broken just like Elizabeth and Zechariah. See, the good news of Christmas begins with our need for Jesus. If we skip right to the manger, if we skip right to singing with the angels, glory to God in the highest, we miss why Christmas ever happened in the first place. And so Luke tells us of Zechariah and Elizabeth because when the world laid barren, when the world was hopeless, God came. In fact, it's easy for us to forget what the actual backdrop of the first Christmas was really like. Though we, again, imagine the nativity and the manger B&B with Jesus and Mary in Bethlehem. The first Christmas really looked more like this. If you put all the gospel accounts together, you get the story of a mad, power-hungry king that ordered an issue to kill all baby boys under the age of two because he feared the birth of a new king. If you look at the first Christmas, you get a nation of mothers weeping for their sons who had been ruthlessly slaughtered at this order of genocide. In the first Christmas, you get an impressive empire that lifted up a few and oppressed many more, where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer and more destitute. You get a woman, a young woman, a teenager, pregnant with her fiancé, going to put her away because of the disgrace of her pregnancy, leaving her potentially with a scandal. You get a priest doubting God and his call and ready to walk away. The first Christmas was anything but a silent and holy night. In fact, what's easy for us to forget is that Jesus's first infant cries did not ring out against an idyllic backdrop, against nature's cathedrals, but Jesus's very first cries rang out in the midst of occupied territory. 
And what we forget about that first Christmas context is that the cross was not the first time Jesus' life was in danger. And when there was an order to kill Jesus. And when we remember this, when we remember this, we begin to capture why Christmas not only mattered then, but might matter for us today. Because that context of the first Christmas doesn't sound too crazy to us. We can relate. It sounds like the stuff of our news headlines, what we pull up day in and day out, the stuff that we are sick of reading on our news scrolls. It sounds a lot like the world in which we still live in. In fact, I, I came across a few weeks ago a, a video that was put out um, way back in 2014, but it, it still rings so true today. It, it was called an Brave Merry Christmas, an Advent Lament. And two Christian authors, Amina Brown and Ann Voskamp, did a spoken word piece and where they speak of the hope of Christmas against the actual backdrop of the first Christmas. And I want to read you a few of the lines that stuck out to me. Because not only do they remind us of that first Christmas, but still remind us of what God's doing today. They say this, they keep saying it's the most wonderful time of year, but they forget that we have people dying in the midst of twinkling lights, that we weep for our children being killed in the streets, the fight for human rights, the fear of disease. They forget that lives are being snuffed out and stolen as our neighborhoods become war zones. Our world, like the very ground beneath us, is trembling with fear and racism, death and hate. We've lost our flocks, we've lost our way, lost our hope with the deadening news that even CNN can't reverse. How can a weary world rejoice when her statuses become the worst kinds of pulpits until our souls need a cease fire? Let the ear hear this Advent lament for those who weep with sadness. This is where the world meets the word, where the word writes the greatest words. The first Christmas was more of a political event with one who came not trying to establish the government upon his shoulders, but rather came as a prince of peace and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Jesus came with no celebrity status, no office, but do not forget that even dragon slayers can arrive looking like small beginnings. Don't forget, this is not a story of sleigh bells jing, jing, jingling. This Christmas is the story of the beginning of death dying. Merry Christmas means that all oppression shall cease. At Christmas, Jesus is not just a baby. He is a radical revolutionary that came to do the saving. He used his voice to speak for peace so we could realize we are not us versus them. We are us with him. So let us do what we hear the angels singing and proclaim glory to God in the highest and let it run down all the way to the lowest.
Let every heart make room because he comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. Friends, the beginning of the good news of Jesus of Christmas doesn't go straight to the manger because the story of light breaking in begins in the dark and our lament It begins with our sadness. It begins with us saying, it may not be the most wonderful time of year for me, for our world. And how many of us have felt that twinge within, that everything in our world transforms and gets more beautiful, but somehow that contrast and makes the darkness we feel and within us feel darker and more heavy. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, I'm not, I am not ready for Christmas or I don't want Christmas. Christmas isn't for me. But Luke would remind us in this story he tells of Zachariah and Elizabeth, he would say, no, 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 no. If you don't feel like celebrating Christmas, Christmas is for you. If you don't feel like it's the most wonderful time of year, Christmas is for you. If you feel weary and tired and lost and broken, Christmas is for you. It's not for the jingle bells, the candy canes. It's for you. Christmas begins in the dark. The amazing thing about Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, and if you've read it, you know this, is that it doesn't end in the dark. How their story begins is not how their story ends. And praise God. Because the truth is the same for you and I. How your story begins is not how it has to end. That what has happened to you beforehand does not have to be carried with you from now into eternity. And we see that with Elizabeth and Zachariah. In fact, if you read through the gospel, you see that God in a miraculous way gives them a child, this barren couple who their time has run out, gives them a child and says that this young baby will prepare the way of the Lord, that God has not forgotten them. And at this, Zachariah bursts forth in his song, the song that you may not know, but the song I hope you will listen to on repeat the rest of the season. He says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham, he has remembered to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And he goes on and says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into 
the path of peace. This is how Zachariah's story and Elizabeth's story ends. And he says, this is where Christmas comes in. It begins in the dark, but it's the story of God redeeming us from the deepest, most barren places in our life. And the incredible thing is Zachariah uses this term redeem, redeem. And many of us, when we hear that word, and if you've heard that word in a church, we think of sin. And Zechariah mentions this notion of sin that God has redeemed us. He recognizes that God has stepped up into his life and done what only God can do, that God has intervened in an impossible situation for he and his wife. And he equates that to how God acts to all of us. And sin is that word that we use to describe the darkness within us, the, the destitution, the desolate places in our lives, in our world. But it simply means this. Sin simply means to miss the mark. It means that we've gotten off track. It's an archery term. And my dad was a bow hunter and a preacher, so he enlivened this for me. But sin literally means that the arrow has been shot and it has gone off track. And Zechariah, he makes this point that sometimes our lives veer off track, but God redeems us. And the idea of redeeming and redemption is not that we got off track and that somebody had to pay for that mess that we made, so God made it right. It's not that, it's not retribution, it's not restitution. The idea of redemption is this long idea in the Hebrew tradition that when somebody would lose the head of their household, which was often the one who economically provided for a house and for a tribe, that a redeemer would come in and would take in those children, that spouse, those who had been left behind so that they would not become desolate or destitute. And it's this idea when Zechariah talks about God being a redeemer and redeeming us, that God comes in when we get off track, that God intervenes in our life to do what we can't do for ourselves so that we are not lost forever that God acts as this redeemer that brings us back into the folds and make sure we have everything we need to continue forward and not miss the mark. That's why Zachariah sings. That's why he bursts forth in hope because he knows, friends, what I hope you and I will leave here today knowing that the good news of Christmas begins with the fact that we need some good news, that we need God to intervene in our lives to get us back on track because we all feel like in some way we have missed the mark, maybe because of something we have done or that has been done to us or happened. And Zechariah promises God will do that. God will intervene, God will step into your life and how the story begins is not how it has to end. Friends, may it be so. This Christmas in our lives and every day since. Would you pray with me? 
gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. God, that in this unlikely story of this couple, this obscure couple and this obscure story that could be lost in history, we find the deepest truths about ourselves that God, we need you. That at our core, every bit of our lives are dependent on you. God, would that not be a scary revelation in our lives, but Lord, would that become for us a joy and knowing God that we need you and that you meet that need readily and happily. And not just at this time of year, but every moment of our lives. God, would you remind us that by your tender mercy and compassion, the light is breaking in to our lives now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.